Amen. And if you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. Then we're going to jump over to the book of John 15. We have to title sermons, uh, you know, somewhat. So this title of this sermon is God Shows You. But in Isaiah 61, this is a prophetic word about Jesus. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, verse 1, to preach good things to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, who will comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now let's go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 1. John 15, 1, Jesus speaking, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it can bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch can bear, cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, and neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast away, he's withered. They gather them up into bunches and throw them in the fire to be burned. I don't want that. <laughs> Just saying. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so will you be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you also love each other. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you a servant, because the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends, because all things that I've heard from the Father I've made known to you. And this is what I want to get to. You did not choose me, but I cho chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should remain, and whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you these things I command you, that you love each other. Now, the Bible talks about that there are these trees of righteousness, and these trees of righteousness would have fruit, and some of that fruit, it said, was joy. The Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus to heal the brokenhearted, to deliver the captives, but then trees that have fruit are <laughs> a blessing, not just to the people there, but to everybody around them. So in your life, God doesn't want you just to be in his garden. He wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to have life and life abundantly, life and life to the full. You know, I grew up in the country. We lived in five acres surrounded by 40 acres. You know, if you forgot to get the milk, it was a big deal because you had to drive 25 minutes back to town just to get the milk. <laughs> you know, who wants cereal dry with water, you know? And so we grew up in the country, and my father and I one year decided we're going to plant trees in the country. We just got this excitement to go out there and plant trees. I don't know where it came from. And uh, we decided to do it. And where we lived in the country, the dirt, we didn't know it had clay in it. 
like red clay that would stick to your post hole digger. So you'd be trying to like drill a hole and it would literally kick the post hole digger out of the hole. You'd have to beat the dirt off of it. Farmers are laughing. I knew nothing about this. I'm like, what did my dad drag me into? Because I was big and he was skinny. So guess who had to hold the post hole digger? And in the middle of it, we ended up planting uh, 12 different types of trees, and two of them were orange trees. I don't know why we planted orange trees in Texas, but we planted them. And for years, nothing grew on them. But I was passionate about my trees. I would water them every day. I would fertilize them, and I would fight off birds, cows. Demon-possessed cow tried to come and eat my orange tree one time. It was on. (laughs) And... One year, it was very cold, it was about November, these orange trees bloomed, and they had giant baseball-sized oranges on them. And I said, well, there's no way they could taste good. And I picked up this large navel orange, and it was about 38 degrees outside, and bit into it, and it was cold, and the juices were inside of my mouth, and it was like the freshest, most awesome thing ever. And I said, this is what God says when he says, I want you to be fruitful. My father's glorified that you could be fruitful. I shared all that fruit with all my friends. Everybody at church got an orange or two. I couldn't wait because what had blessed me came from effort and caring for something. Then wasn't just for me. It was for my friends. It was for my family. It was for everyone. You see, a lot of times in old school church, not that it was bad, we would preach people get saved so you can go to heaven. We want you to go to heaven. That's good. But you are somebody's orange, John Artzer. You are somebody's orange that's going to bring life to other people. The reason I said that, he preached a sermon about an orange (laughs) years ago. You are a blessing to somebody that's waiting to happen. So here he says, you did not choose me. I chose you. That takes a lot of pressure off of you. You know, your mom and daddy, some of you grew up in church and your parents drug you to church. Some of you never grew up in church. Other things brought you to church. But a lot of times we put too much pressure on you. No, God had a plan for your life before the foundation of the world. The Bible says he knows your days for his, yet there were none of them. He wrote them in his book. God exists outside of time. He created time for us. He's in eternity. He had an internal plan for your life. So he saw you before you were a gleam in your daddy's eye. And he had a plan for your life. So when you came to church and God revealed himself to you, you didn't have to save yourself. He saved you. He chose you so you could bear fruit. Your fruit would remain, and whatever you ask God to do, he's going to give you because he chose you. So the first point I want to make in this being chosen, your life is not an accident. God wants you to be fruitful, not just to get to heaven by the skin of your teeth, but he wants you to be blessed, to be a blessing to other people. He told Abraham, I will bless you to be a blessing. God has called you to be a blessed so you can be a blessing to other people. Wherever you are, you are a blessing. Wherever you go, if you're in college, you're a blessing to the people around you. If you're in school, if you're uh, in business, wherever you are, he chose you. You see, the devil lies to people. He tells some people, maybe you weren't chosen. Maybe you're an accident. Maybe something that happened in your life defines who you are. Maybe you're not a tree, you're a bush. You know, when I was a young kid, uh, my Sunday school teacher led me to Christ like at five years old. And I knew God had called me to preach and wanted to preach. I got so excited about wanting to preach, I baptized my sister's Barbies. She didn't like that. She didn't like that. And it was just what I wanted to do. I would, wanted to, knew God had called me to preach. Ended up going to public school. I had other siblings. Uh, I struggled with learning. 
and was diagnosed with severe dyslexia. And they said, well, hey, we got a special ed program that can help these kids. They put me in special ed where the special education teacher would look at us and say, there's nothing wrong with y'all. Y'all are just stupid. You're lazy. You'll never be anything. Told me that for free straight years, me and the other kids. So as a kid, I figured they were saying that because I was bad for not being able to do what other people could do. And I figured, well, if I tell my parents she's saying this, they're going to know I got in trouble at school. So I just kept letting this lady tell me this for free straight years, from five years old to eight years old. I didn't want to preach. I don't want to try to read in front of anybody. I had given up completely on that situation. My mom was, had a friend tell her, uh, <laughs> tell her to homeschool me, use a program called Help for Dyslexia. I began to learn to read. But the last thing I wanted to do was to preach. The last thing I want to do is get up and read a book to people and with God's help explains what it means. That sounds crazy. The person who has dyslexia to get up, <laughs> you got a sense of humor, God. Life is not fair. God, why would you call a deaf person to be a sound technician, a blind man to be a painter, or a dyslexic to be a preacher? Maybe, God, you chose the wrong person. He didn't make a wrong choice. He delivered me from all my fears. You see, life might tell you something. Did God make the wrong choice? I'm divorced. Did God make the wrong choice? I went for abuse. Did God make the wrong choice? I had a failed marriage. Did God make the wrong choice? A failed business. Did God make the wrong choice? I believe in God for other people to get healed, but I battle sickness in my own body. And God is here to tell you, you did not choose me. I chose you. And if I chose you, you will bear fruit. You will ask things and it will come to pass and you will overcome everything the enemy set against you. He didn't make a mistake when he chose you. He chose you to be on the winning team. You know, when I was in school, again, I was a big kid, so when they have these races, team races, guess who got picked last? <laughs> you know, it was like, you just get used to getting picked last. Well, then, I actually got in shape in junior high, and I started getting picked first. It was a great feeling. For some of you, life has tried to tell you you've been picked last, but God wants you to know for his team, he picked you first. He didn't pick the strongest, the wisest, the smartest, or the richest. He said he picked the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, the weak things to shame the mighty, and those who are nothing to make them something, so only he gets the glory. So if you're in a bad situation, I got good news. You're a good opportunity for God to bear some fruit in your life. He chose you. He chose you, and he didn't make a mistake when he chose you. The Bible says forever God's word is settled in heaven. Jesus said that you're clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. My first point, he chose you. He didn't make a mistake. Secondly, Jesus said in John 17, 17, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify means to be set apart and made holy. To avoid the corruption that's in this world, get into the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And not out of a legalistic thing or a fear-based thing. It's out of an abiding thing. If I want to get to know Sabata, I have to spend time with Sabata and talk to him and fellowship with him. And God's given us ways to get to know him and abide with him. And part of that's through his word. And when you get into the word of God, you see Jesus. When you see Jesus, you see the nature of Father God. Then God can reveal who you are. Then you can love other people properly. But if you don't see Jesus right, you won't see Father God right. You won't see yourself right. Then you might be one of those unhappy, grouchy Christians. And I said, listen, if you're an unhappy, grouchy Christian and I'm a minister, tell people you're an atheist. It makes my job easier. <laughs> or at least take the fish off your car, please. <laughs> 
It said in Isaiah, he would give you the garment of praise and the oil of joy. Jesus said, I spoke these things to you that my joy could remain in you and my joy could be full. In his presence is the fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. John Archer was preaching two sermons on worship. This house is a house of worship. One of the first things I loved about coming to the epicenter maybe five or seven years ago is I'd been at a place where churches would have 20 minutes of songs and then it's over. And the first time I came to the epicenter, like, okay, it's probably like those types of churches. It was not. It was two hours of the most refreshing worship ever, and it felt like 20 minutes because the presence of God was there. When you come into the house of God, you're not just coming so we can play a song. We're coming so we together can minister to the Lord and worship, give him the glory he's worthy of. Then he can come with his presence and begin to show you who you are, begin to restore your soul, begin to heal your body, and begin to reveal how good he is to you. Times are refreshing the presence of God. The joy can be full. If you need a joy overdose, just keep coming. Don't quit. He's here. You're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So abiding in the Lord, spending time with the Lord, gives us the ability to overcome the things of the world. You know, I want to encourage you because a lot of times we have two extremes in Christianity. We have uh, lasciviousness, which means just do whatever you want and God's okay with it, which, you know, he's not. (laughs) Or we have legalism that says, okay, it's all on you to defeat this thing. The Bible says those who walk in the spirit will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Is when I come to the church and I seek God because I love him, because he's loved me, then spending time with him and loving him, I say no to the things I could not say no to, and I say yes to the things he's called me to say yes to. You see, the fruit of the spirit in my life and your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, patience, and self-control. When it says that about the fruit of the spirit, that's the fruit of your life. That's the fruit God wants in your life. And the way you get that is by spending time with him. Again, when I grew my oranges and went out to check on my trees and fight off the birds, I was the husbandman. I was the gardener. I was the vine dresser. Those oranges didn't have to work hard to grow. Those branches did not have to work hard to go. All they had to do was be at the right place at the right time. I have good news for you. Right now, in this church, you are in the right place at the right time for Father God to give you something so you could be fruitful. I didn't hear the oranges going, oh, it's so hard to be an orange. It's so tough. This is the hardest thing ever. No, they're connected to the vine on the branch. (laughs) You as a believer are connected to Father God. It says you're in his hand and no man can snatch you out of his hand. It says your face is continually before him. It says in Zechariah that God gets up and dances over you with singing and rejoices over you with love. Man, you are the fruit of the Lord. So as you get into the word of God, and spend time with Father God, that begins to cause a process of sanctification, where it's not me saying, oh, man, if I do this, I'm no longer a Christian. No, no, no. I seek Father God, and he delivers me from those things that I should not do. Doesn't mean I just go out and do whatever I want. No, don't do that. Again, if you do that, tell people you're not a Christian, please. (laughs) God shows you. He sanctifies you by abiding and spending time in his word. And it says this, that we can ask things according to his will, according to his word, and he hears us. So when I get into the word of God and begin to ask God to do things, I come from a place of his legal authority. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen to the glory of God for us. When you have a promise of God fulfilled in your life, it makes God look good. 
So I want to encourage you, everything in this Bible is for you. Everything that it says is for you. You're not disqualified. He chose you. You're not any less than any other person. So when you get into this word and he begins to do those things, it makes him look good. To give you an example, to help you understand, I love to make coffee. I, I consider myself like a coffee just connoisseur. I got into it at Bible school. And I like to make, now I've gotten to a place where I can make cappuccinos and cold coffees and all sorts of fun stuff. And one day I'll have Sabato over at my house for a party. He's been asking for a while. And if you say, Chesley, would you make me a coffee? I get excited because that's what I love to do and I like to share with people. When you go to Father God who wants to be glorified in your life and say, Father God, save the lost. Father God, save my uncle. Father God, heal my marriage. Father God, heal my body. All of a sudden, Father God gets excited because now you're in agreement with what he wants to do. So it's not like you're having a beggar God who does not want to do something to do it. He said he searches to and fro throughout the earth looking for those whose hearts are turned towards him. He's looking for somebody to come in agreement on the earth for what he wants to do. And the moment you say yes, he says yay and gets excited. The best days for the epicenter is yet to come. The best days for your life in God is yet to come. When you say yes, God says yay. It says that he is glorified that you bear much fruit. He's glorified. Now, I want to get into my last point and get you out of here. Don't have to preach a long time for God to move. <laughs> These things I command you that you love one another. As I have loved you, you also love each other. This is my commandment, that you love each other. Now, you see, a lot of Christians go through stuff in life and in church where they get hurt and offended in church. So they say, you know, I like God. I even like the pastors. They're cool. But I'm not sure if I want to go to church anymore. You know, I think I'll just stay home and watch somebody on TV. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake the assembling yourselves together as some have done as the day of Christ's return is approaching. Why would it say that? Because there is a temptation if you've been through some stuff to say, you know what? Maybe I could just watch somebody on TV. I mean, every now and then, that might be fun. Get you a box of donuts, some coffee, sit down, whatever. But only do that if you're not in the city that your church is physically located in, please. <laughs> you know, my attitude was even if I didn't have a spirit-filled church to go to because I want to honor God, all of a sudden I'm going to scare the Episcopalians <laughs> or the Baptists. I'm just going to show up because God told me to love you. And if I'm being told to love you, even if I don't get along with your theology, I can love you. He didn't say don't forsake the assembling yourselves together if everybody's not perfect or nice to you. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, it's said that offenses would come, but woe to the man who keeps it, which means hold it close to your heart. Offenses are going to come. You can have somebody be ugly to you on the way to church and traffic and find out they go to the same church. <laughs> Been there. They're like, oh, pastor, I didn't know it was you. It was God bless you. And it's, it can happen. But I told somebody this, like, brother, there ain't no churches out here. So I said, well, here's what you do. Get coffee and donuts. Live stream the worship at some other church. Live stream the sermon and invite everybody you know to go to your house, and your house is now the new fellowship. Because you can't have fruit with trees unless you cross-pollinate. There's certain things that cannot happen in your life until it's no more about you and about what he wants to do. 
You see, the Bible says, I long to see you in Romans 1, that I might impart something good to you, that the mutual faith of you and me might be encouraged. There's certain things that can only be activated in my life when I'm around another believer. When I'm around another person, deep calls unto deep. There's times where God will set up Christian business relationships just because you met the right person at the right time in the will of God. Where all of a sudden you're like, how did this happen? God did it. But you cannot do it if you get so offended you isolate yourself. The disciples, after Jesus had died, and they were very discouraged, it says they had locked themselves up and nobody went in or out. Now, here's what I want to tell you. They thought they were safe. They were not safe. The Pharisees had their own army. The Romans had their legions. But they had the feeling of being safe. Some people were offended and get hurt. You close yourself off from ministry. You close yourself off from relationships, thinking you're going to be safe, but you are not. But what I love about Jesus, it says he went into the house and said, peace be still. What I love about Jesus, Jesus looks at you today and says, I'm bigger than your hurt. I'm bigger than your disappointment. If you will forgive people, I will heal you and make you whole so you can be fruitful. Amen. Years ago in ministry, I got very, very hurt. And my attitude was, I like God. I like some Christians. But maybe I'll just go and not do anything. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm just going to sit in the back and do nothing. Don't ask me to do a thing. But when I begin to think about Jesus said, as I have loved you, you also love each other. When I begin to hear about the love of Jesus and his great love for me, that he loved me in spite of myself. I'm like, well, Lord, then your love is greater than the hurt I've been through. I forgive the people who've hurt me. It doesn't mean what they did was right, but I forgive them so you can heal me so I can love other people the way you love them, just like you loved me. God loves you so much. It said he knew you before the foundation of the world. You see, we get to put on for people, but he saw us not just at our best, but at our worst. And it said for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And you were his joy. When he was at the whipping post, it was for you. When they beat him with their bare hands and put a crown of thorns on his head and mocked him and said, you're the king of the Jews and spit on him, it was only because of you. He could have called down angels to deliver him, but he did not. He went on that uh, hill, Golgotha, carrying the cross, was nailed to that cross as people mocked him and he died, torn apart. It said he was so badly beaten, Isaiah, he no longer looked human. And all of that was for you. Every wicked thing that I ever did, every lie I ever told, everything that I deserved to be punished for was put on him. And it said the wrath of God was poured upon him so you and I could be spared, become the sons and daughters of God, become redeemed. And when Jesus said it was finished, the record of your sins were washed out with the blood of Jesus. Though your sins were scarlet, they became white as snow. And he looked at you and said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And with loving kindness, I've drawn you to myself. When Satan reminds you of your past, you remind yourself of the blood of Jesus. It said the blood of Cain, Abel cried out for vengeance, but the blood of Jesus speaks better things. And it still speaks over your life. And if he's loved you so much where he forgave you, forgive other people. I told a couple this in counseling one time. I said, if y'all could love your little children the way you do, you need to love each other like you love your children. Your little babies do anything. It's all right because they're your babies. I said, y'all are husband and wife. I said, that's how much Father God loves you. He loves you the moment you make a mistake. It's over as long as you say Father. Love each other like that. Don't close off your blessings out of anger. If Jesus forgave you and I, let's forgive another of other people. The last point, and I'll make this, John 15, 18, I'll be politically incorrect. 
If the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore it hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted you, they will pers- if they persecuted me, they will persecute you because you keep my word. So as a Christian in this world, sometimes people don't like you. And you're like, what's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you. It's actually something's right with you. The world doesn't understand why you are the way you are. So we can't get caught up in hating a world that hates us. We pray and intercede for a world that doesn't understand us. It's like the Bible says, to those who are being saved, you are the aroma of life, and to those who are lost, you are the stench of death. You're like a Christian liver. People either like liver or they don't like it. <laughs> That's why you just can't, if you're so, <laughs> if you're a milquetoast Christian, then yeah, you can get along with everybody. But when you are a real Christian, people are going to have an opinion about you one way or another. But don't take that opinion personal, because if they said Jesus was visible, they might say some stuff about you. That might mean you're doing a good job. And you don't get offended at them, you pray for them, because they can go from being Saul to Paul, if you keep your heart right. You know, we don't wish bad on anybody, we just have to have an understanding, so you, because our human frame of mind, if somebody's upset, I did something wrong. Not all the time. You know, <laughs> I was at a job, and they used to call me preacher boy. And they're like, you know, they wanted to know something bad about somebody, like, don't ask preacher boy, he doesn't say nothing bad about nobody. That's actually a good reputation you want to have. <laughs> don't ask Chesley. He don't say anything about anybody. As much as possible, I'm not perfect, as much as possible, knock over my coffee might be a situation. <laughs> joking, joking. But the world's not going to like us. You know, if you say stuff about Jesus now, people before, I mean, this is why I don't even do social media too much. You tweet something about Jesus, and now they can say that's exclusive. It's hate speech, you know. I have a friend, he works for Campus Crusade for Christ in Colorado, and he was talking about that back in 2004. They were calling Christianity hate speech, you know? I'm like, well, the religion that commands us to love and forgive? Do they read what the other religions say to do people to the different religions? It's like it's the most pacifist religion in the world. But that's how Satan works. Satan won't fight against Satan. But you and I as believers... Don't be surprised when the world hates you, but don't get into hating the world. Love the world. Pray for the lost to be saved. Believe for God to do great things. So I want to encourage you. God chose you. He didn't make a mistake when he chose you. To live a sanctified life just means to get into the word of God and get into worship so God can make you who he's called you to be. Ask God to do big things because he likes doing big things for you. Ask and he will do it for you. Love each other and don't be surprised when you don't fit in because God never called you to fit in and he called you to stand out. I just want to pray over you and bless you this morning. Father, I thank you for this house, Lord God. You said they are the trees of the Lord, the trees of righteousness planted by the Lord, full of fruitfulness. Father God, I thank you, God, for fruitful health in people's physical bodies, Lord God. I thank you, God, restoring people's health. No more symptoms of arthritis or blood pressure or diabetes, heart disease, any of those things. I rebuke in the name of Jesus. I thank you. You've called us to have life and life abundantly, to walk in good health and prosper even as our soul prospers. And Lord, for those who are enduring financial hardships, Father, I thank you Christ was rich, yet he became poor, that we could be rich for his suffering. So I call people's finances blessed, their business is blessed, the work of their hands are blessed, Father God. 
Lord, I just thank you they have a supernatural ability not just to pay off debt, but to give and help others, Father God. And Lord, we thank you at Epicenter Church, we will see the sick healed, Father God, the lost saved, and we will see other trees in this house bearing much fruit, Father God. I thank you. You be glorified in this house. In Jesus' name, amen.